Good morning, everybody. Good to be with you this morning. Welcome. If you're visiting with us, we trust you would experience and have already experienced the wonderful joy of being with people who love Jesus and who worship him through song and through life. And uh, if you are looking for a church home or a place of connection and belonging, we welcome you to, uh, to uh, consider reaching out to us. And uh, if you're visiting with us and you already have your own home church, we want you to be faithful to your own local church. But then also, we want to make sure that as we gather as God's people, we do so around God's Word. Amen? Before I read the Scripture today, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to pray this prayer together, after which I will read the Scripture and you may be seated. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. Mark chapter 13, reading from verse 1 through to 8. And as he came out of the temple, that is Jesus, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. Then Jesus asked him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left here upon another. All will be thrown down. And when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will this be and what will be the sign that all these things are about to be accomplished? Then Jesus began to say to them, Beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name and say, I am he, and they will lead many astray. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed, this must take place, but the end is still to come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of birth pangs. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When temples fall, what remains? When that is, which is impressive, which is strong, which has the appearance of endurance, stability, significance. When things that we look at that not only impresses us, but says we can count on it, no longer is there what remains. Uh, the disciples of Jesus is following him. They're trying to discern who this Messiah is. And on many occasions, I think as they follow, they think they know, but they really don't. 
I think when I preach these texts, I'm always uh, inclined to put myself a little bit above the disciples. I get what others don't get. I, I understand. But I have the, the, the privilege of a couple of thousand years of looking back at this experience, of not being right there when it happened. So perhaps we can be a little sympathetic to those who, who desire to follow, but they don't often get what Jesus is really about. In fact, I would put it this way, that disciples often have become enamored, impressed with the wrong things. They've often focused on the things that they have thought were significant, and Jesus kind of invites them in to perceive significance in a different way. You know, just before the text that I read to you, Jesus has spent some time in the temple. And there in the temple, in the inner court, in the court of the woman, were 13 receptacles. They say these receptacles had a trumpet-like, uh, you know, uh, top. And when you came into this particular part of the, of the temple, this is where you would, you would give your temple tithe. This is where you would, would pay your, your temple treasury, to the, tre- to the temple treasury. You would give your money. We have a little basket on the back table as you leave. It's kind of the same idea. And the temple fund funded the ministry of the temple. And, and Jesus, he's in the temple. Now, he doesn't always do appropriate things in the temple. I'm not giving you a license to do inappropriate things in the church. You're not Jesus. Uh, But Jesus uh, invites his disciples to to sit down with him uh, across one of these receptacles. I I, I think that when when Jesus pauses and invites his disciples to sit down, uh, something's going down. I, I know this is perhaps something that's just kind of more just anecdotal, but I I think the fast pace of life doesn't often invite us to sit down with Jesus and to see what Jesus wants us to see. If your life feels like a treadmill, you'll probably miss the moments that God wants to interrupt and show us the things we don't perceive when we're running at an alarming pace. But maybe it's true that there are some things we just won't understand unless we allow ourselves to be obedient to Jesus and to sit down with Him when He sits down so that He can show us what we could not see on our own. So He sits across this receptacle. And there comes the rich, the Ryans, the Otoetzis, with their big amounts of cash. I don't know why you're laughing. Why are they laughing? And uh, they start putting in their money, and they're in between the, the activity. I, I think it must have been uh, p- perhaps not as quiet and sedate and as calm as we do, uh, you know, our, our things here, but maybe it was a, a very, very busy place and a lot of activity, and perhaps it would be easy to miss amidst all that was happening and the people pouring in uh, large sums of money in the temple treasury. We know that, that some of the Pharisees, they, they, they took their time doing these things so that they would be noticed. But, but Jesus, you know, when he sits down, he invites them to see what they would not else see. And there he describes a, a poor widow. 
a poor widow. Mark wants to emphasize a few things, that this is a woman with very little status in her day. This is a woman that that lost her husband, and in that particular time, to lose a husband puts you in a rather vulnerable position. She's not only a widow, but she's poor, and she comes along, and she puts in just a couple of coins, the, the equivalent of a penny, and Jesus says to them, did you see that? Did you see that while others give out of the, uh, the surplus of their wealth, this woman has given more, although comparatively speaking, a penny doesn't equate to the wealth that has been deposited by others because what she gave, she gave out of her poverty. When Jesus sits his disciples down, he wants them to not be impressed with what we are often impressed with. The grandeur, the lots, the success, the flashy cars, the big homes, the great shoes. I have to point out, I do all my shopping at winners. Don't hold it against me. I just like a good deal. But it seems to me that we, we live uh, in this temptation to miss what Jesus wants us to see when we are impressed by the things that don't impress Him. So He leaves the temple, and He goes to the Mount of Olives. Now get this, the Mount of Olives, according to the commentators I've read, I haven't been there, I'd like to go. If you would like to take me, I'd go with you. But according to those who have traveled the Holy Line, who have been there, that when you leave uh, the temple and you, you head towards the Mount uh, of Olives, it, it affords you the, the most beautiful picture of this temple. In fact, the temple was so grand, it was twice the size of the the Old Testament account of Solomon's temple, it was built in such a way that it, that it caught your eye, it, it captured your attention, it was prominent, significant. If you wanted to know what Jerusalem was about, you looked at the temple and you understood that this defined what happens here. So Jesus got up from the temple treasury and now sits down across the temple. And one of his disciples, you know, says to him, look, <laughs> this is awesome. Look at the size of this thing. In fact, I, I wanted to get some dimensions so that we can grapple with the size of this. Uh, present day, archaeological evidence shows us that some of the stones used for the temple, get this, were 35 feet long. 18 feet high. Charmaine, you're an engineer. Just think about the dimensions. And 12 feet high. Uh, this was an edifice that impressed. This was something that would have perhaps caught my attention. In fact, I've heard from those who have traveled to the Holy Land without me that there is still remnants, still foundational stones that you can see 
and you can grasp just how significant the actual building must have been. Isn't it interesting that Jesus points out something that they wouldn't have noticed because they were looking perhaps at the significant things? And the disciple says, Jesus, I want you to look at what I consider to be great. You know, um, sometimes I think we posture our lives to say, God, I want you to pay attention to what I think is significant. I want you to pay attention to what I think is impressive. I'm going to use an example. The person is no, not a part of our church, never was, but when we built this building, and uh, coming from a good place, but totally wasn't on the same page with him, you know, he, he says, oh, I, I just hope you build the biggest church. He didn't use that word. It was very descriptive. Uh, the biggest church you can. And I said, why is that? He says, you know, big churches, you know, that's what we need. We need, we need people to pay attention to the big church. That's how we make a statement. We're large and in charge. We're grand. We're significant. And, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, because we're trying to raise funds to build this, that I have to be very politically correct in how I responded. So I said, are you contributing to the stewardship campaign? <laughs> Didn't want that big a church, I guess, you know. But Jesus takes the opportunity, and, and this is what I love about Jesus, when, when we are even looking at the wrong things, Jesus wants to help us find a corrective. He wants to focus our attention on the ways of God. And so Jesus says that this significant building that kind of was the orienting symbol of the people, Jewish people understood who they were in relation to the temple. In fact, they believed that this was the location from which God was going to put them back in control of the world. They made sacrifices there. They prayed there, at least sometimes. It is hard to imagine from a Jewish mind that this very thing that represented so much to them could crumble, but Jesus says to them, this temple will come down. Every single stone. Perhaps we can relate. Perhaps some of us can relate to what it feels when the things we admire and the things we've counted on and the things we are impressed by ends. But when you sit with Jesus, and he kind of paints a picture for you that the kingdom is not about the kinds of things that you had perhaps hoped and I had hoped it was, he, he, he does so in a, in, a, in a very, very difficult way for these, uh, these disciples. We, we believe that around the time when Mark was recalling this, there was either already sufficient evidence to show that the Jewish revolution was going to result in a revolt in which the temple itself would be destroyed. 
And anybody who reads Mark well will understand that when they speak, Jesus speaks about the stones coming down. He's not speaking figuratively, but he's speaking about something that would actually really happen. And in the back of my mind, if I was a Jewish person living in that time, I would say, if we have no temple, what do we have? If we have no place, according to their own religious understanding, where God meets with these people, what do we have? Let me put it to you in contemporary terms. If we cannot meet as the people of God like we did, are we still okay? When things change, when relationships end, when jobs end, when the security upon which we have built our self-understanding comes to an end, when all that we thought would last does not last, the Word of God teaches us this, this, that Jesus is the end, that He stands when all things fall apart. You can count not on all the things that we tend to put our faith and trust in, but you can put your faith and you can put your trust in the one that Revelation describes this way. He is the beginning and He is the end. I always thought that this side of the sanctuary is more sanctified. Thanks for that. The answer in our text to the question that the text asks is when things fall apart. When things come to an end. Who is our hope? So you say to me, Stu, that's a, great, that's a great point. I think it's scriptural. But what does that mean? How do we live in a, in a season perhaps of turmoil and crisis and things breaking down? How is Jesus my hope? How do I, how do I access what you're proclaiming? How, how do I enter in in a way that, that gives me a, a way to live well during crisis? during turmoil, during loss, during shifting times and changing circumstances. I think there's a few things we learn from the text. The first is this. We learn to listen to the right voice so that we would not be led astray. Do you know at the, the time surrounding the destruction of the temple that there were a it's recorded in a historian. His name is Josephus. If you want to read anything about the, the early centuries, you usually, as a Bible scholar, go to Josephus. He, he records historically as the events that surrounded what happened. And, and, and Josephus records that there are, there are prophets going around proclaiming doom and the end of destruction. One uh, so prolifically, so passionately, that he caught the attention of the religious leaders who tried to silence them. They brought him in front of the Roman governor, and the Roman governor said, He's nuts. They were those who were predicting the end of the world. Those who were screaming, we have lots to be afraid of. Lots to fear. 
our city and our temple and our way of life will come to an end. You know, when Jesus says in the text, beware of who you listen to, he is making a very explicit point. He's saying, don't listen to those who think the end is the end and inspires fear and wrong following. Don't listen to those who do not believe what God is coming to do. Because the end that Jesus has in mind is not the end that they have in mind. Do you know that the Greek word, I don't often do this because I don't want to sound super smart, but please be impressed. That the Greek word in the text for the word end is a Greek word that, that, that is not well rendered as end. It is more apt to understand it as fulfillment. Jesus is saying that when you listen to the wrong voices who paints a cataclysmic end to things, you are not understanding that the end is yet to come is a statement of hope. That that is a fulfillment that rests in the work of Jesus Christ. That he is going to bring about God's intended purpose. God's intended end. That which God has sent him to do, he will do. Therefore, do not listen to the voices that inspire fear to the people who pretend to know what no one knows, to those who incite us to think that the world is coming to an end, but put your hope in the one who speaks and says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Fear produces all kinds of of faithless behavior. Fear generates division. Fear robs us of peace. But perhaps most significantly, Fear keeps us from hope. If Jesus is our hope when all falls apart, how we listen to him really matters. The voice of Jesus, it's not just that it does not inspire fear, but Jesus does not dismiss the circumstances that the disciples would go through. In fact, if you keep reading, reading through Mark, right after this, from verse 9 onwards, you'll find that Jesus is preparing them for some really hard times. You know, um, Christianity, historically, has been a religion, uh, a faith that at times have experienced persecution and hardship. Now, in the Western world, you know, we are thankful that we don't experience that level of hostility towards our faith. Some scream out today that we are experiencing all kinds of oppression before being Christian. Listen, I don't want to dismiss that. I know it's not popular to be a Christian. I know that we no longer have the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, in public places. We no longer pray the Lord's Prayer. But listen, let's just be real and honest with ourselves. 
What we're enjoying in this country pales in comparison to what Christians to this day and historically go through for saying they believe in Jesus. More significantly, more significantly, that for us who proclaim to follow Jesus, we do not only listen to Him as He tells us what is real and true, but we prepare ourselves that there will be seasons that are hard and challenging when we follow Him. Listen, friends, um, I don't even know how to say it. Our following of Jesus does not, does not put us in a place where being faithful to Him may not cost us something. Following Jesus does not mean that there won't be times where we experience difficulties and challenges. I've preached this for many years here at this church. But when you're in the midst of it, when things go wrong or things become harder because you're wanting to be faithful, have you ever been there? Let me say this. Some of us are in hard places by our own design. But there are times in which we are in hard places because we're trying to be true to following Jesus. I say this for the sake of young people amongst us. You know, we, we want you to take Christ seriously. We want Him to be at the center of your life. We want you to seek the will of God. We want to you to recognize that Christ alone saves us, that He is our salvation. But we also want you to understand that if He's our Lord, He will lead you in His ways, and sometimes following Jesus is hard stuff. It's difficult stuff. So if we get past being impressed by the wrong things and we start to see what the kingdom is about and we hear Jesus' invitation for us that even when the world around you crumbles and you think the end is coming, I want you to know that this is not the end. I want you to know that I, according to this wonderful revelation in, in the end of our Bible, I am the Alpha. I, you know what that means? I am the beginning point. And I am the end, I am where all things are headed. I want you to hear how the Apostle Paul in Acts puts this together, and I hope it makes sense. This is what Paul says. He says, for in Him, in Christ, we live and move and have our being. Therefore, since we are God's children, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone like temples made by human hands and design and skill. Because in the past, says Paul, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent what? To repent that Jesus is indeed the Savior and the hope for all that he's made. To repent that sometimes we focus on the wrong things. I think that, you know, Jesus as our hope also means this, that we live in faith. That God is birthing something new amidst the end of things. I, I want to read the text in case you think I'm making that up. Verse 8, 
For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. This is but the beginning of birth pangs. Historically and recent history, I should say, just a couple of, not even a couple of hundred years old, people really started to interpret this in terms of some kind of just prophetic one day. While the Bible does speak about the end when Christ shall return. Hallelujah. Amen. And make all things new. <laughs> Look forward to the day. Uh, this particular text is not so much about predicting the future, but it's about faithfulness in the present. It's about learning how to live when things do fall apart. And Jesus is saying some things. He's saying, listen, it's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Things that you put your faith and trust in might be challenged. But I want you to know something. That something is being birthed as some things come to an end. Some things are, are being created. Some things are being generated. Some things are being brought to life. In fact, you know, Christianity, uh, you know, we, we have the, the symbol of the cross, and, and that symbol reminds us that oftentimes where we see endings, God is ready to do a new thing. Yes, Montwitty, I was waiting for an amen. Out of the mouths of infants and babes, you have perfected praise, dear God. <laughs> when the rest of them don't want to say amen, Montwitty is going to say amen, hallelujah. The cross is a symbol that when things seem at their darkest, God is the God of resurrection. Maybe some of us, we feel like we'd rather follow Jesus without dying. We'd rather follow Jesus um, if he would just take place in the temple <laughs> and let us be with him. Maybe some of us feel like life has felt like loss. You know, um, I, uh, I often reference my own journey because... There's something important about preaching that keeps me attuned to my need of God. I'm just going to say this and then I'll close. That whenever I preach, I'm always asking, Lord, what, what is this saying to my life and heart and mind? I don't want to be the kind of person, and pray for me. I've got good ideas to share with you from Scripture, but it's not good ideas for me. Do you know... That to this day, I'm convinced if God didn't call me to preach and I didn't respond in obedience, I would not be walking in His ways. But as I learn to walk with God, as I learn to listen to His Word, as I put myself under His authority, as I recognize that without Him, I can't live this Christian life. Listen, we, at Skyview, we're not promoting self-help, right? Or let me put it this way, IKEA Christianity. You know, if you could just get the right instructions, you can fix it all. That's just not what we promote. We promote the, 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 the Jesus who, who saves us because we can save ourselves and the Jesus who leads us because he has more in store for us than we're often willing to give our lives to. And this Jesus, if we're going to respond to him in hope today, if we're going to respond in faith and not in fear, 
invites some of us who've been walking this journey of faith for a long time just to slow down and to sit down with him. How do you do that? It's going to blow your mind how deep this is. You sit down with the Word of God. If I was to ask you how much you read other things compared to how much you read the Word of God, this is not meant to, like, we've done enough of that in the church. Guilted us all, we have to pray for hours and read Scripture for hours. No, but I just want to, I just want to make the point. You know, part of discerning who to listen to is actually making time to listen to Jesus. The way through the chaos and the, and the drama of this season is, is not to get more information from sources other than to listen to the Word. Sometimes we need help listening to the Word. So yes, here's what I'm going to say. Very practically, sometimes you need to find yourself with other believing Christians who can help you read the Word well and hear it well. I am convinced more and more that the solitary reading of Scripture often does not heal the fruit of it, and we are just left to our own perspectives without the body of Christ helping us. It's hard work. Whenever you include more people, if you have five, there'll be ten perspectives, right? I understand why we all want to just have a solitary Christianity. I understand why it's easy for us to say it's just me and Jesus. But you know what? I have learned so much. Even if someone hasn't gone to seminary and hasn't been in, you know, taking the biblical languages, even when somebody is just a new Christian, somehow when I sit with them around the Word of God, there's something dynamic that happens. God's Word speaks life and truth. Sometimes things are said that challenges what I believe. Sometimes it forces me back into the Word to listen, to, to pray, to seek, to ask. But not only do we sit down with Jesus in our personal private devotion or with groups of people, I want to stress to you that, that what we try to do in worship of God is learn to listen to Him. That is why the preaching moment is a part of what we do. But if we think that the preaching moment is all we need, that's not necessarily how it works. So, sitting down with Jesus, accessing His hope through His Word is one way. I, I think another way we can do this is to uh, start quieting the wrong voices. You know, one of the ways that you know, and I know, that we're listening to Jesus more than we're listening to other voices is when fear is replaced with hope. I can very easily tell when somebody is listening to uh, things other than Jesus more because very quickly I hear how the wall's falling apart. 
Very quickly I hear this, this is, this is, this is just hopeless. Who is our faith in? What remains when COVID comes? What remains when relationships end? What remains when jobs end? What remains when circumstances change? Our hope is in the Lord. <laughs> our hope is in Jesus. So listen, my friends, here's how I want to close our time together. And I'm going to invite Stephanie and the team to come, and they're going to sing a song. I wonder this morning if somehow the Word has spoken to you in a way that, that, that connects. You know, you're, you're sitting there going, I, I've come here with perhaps my own expectations and my own desires and my own hopes. Maybe I've come here feeling burdened. Maybe, Stu, what you're preaching about I want, but I don't know how to get there. I want to invite you today to respond in faith to Christ's invitation. You know what he says to his disciples? He says, come to me. <laughs> come to me. <laughs> all who are weary. All who are burdened. And I will give you rest. Come to me. It's the word of Jesus for the church. Come to me is the word of Jesus for us. He is our hope. Father, this morning, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for your promise. As our worship team leads us in song, I pray that we would find ourselves humbly before your throne. Maybe, Lord, there is someone who just needs to say, I, I need to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe it's, you're at home. Maybe you're watching us online. But maybe there's someone here today that you just kind of go, I, I have religious thoughts and ideas and beliefs, but I don't yet know the saving grace of Jesus Christ who pardons me not only of my sin, but who fills my life with His presence. Maybe there's someone here who just needs to say, Lord, I, I feel like my life is not what I want it to be. I'm disappointed. I wish there was more, but I don't know how to get there. Maybe there's someone who's just sitting here and saying, you know, Stu, I, I just came to church because I, I'm at the end of some stuff and I just need new beginnings. I need a God who raises, a God who brings life. Father, by your grace and in your mercy, may we respond in accordance with your will for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.